Hello everyone, today the Student Economist is continuing our new podcast. The podcast will discuss the weekly economic news globally with your hosts Rohit Ramanan, Arush Love and myself Avi Rapoli. If you would like to join us as a guest on the podcast, you can fill out the form on our website. But for now, let's get started with today's first topic, Trump's Chinese technology starts. Is Trump now boycotting legal Chinese businesses, uh, in particular in reference to the Chinese company TikTok? Um, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, Trump is boycotting a legal business, which is TikTok. It has been registered. It is a legal company. It's a billion dollar company. Everyone knows this. And on August 6th, um, Trump declared TikTok, along with WeChat, a national emergency because um, apparently it had privacy and security concerns. He invoked the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, I think, which it lets him ban transactions between U.S. and foreign entities. Um, now, let's talk about whether he has the power to do this. He does. As the American president, he does have um, the power to exercise control over what businesses come into his country. But whether he's doing this due to real security concerns or whether for his political agenda against China is, is a question that has to be asked. Yeah, I definitely agree that it's a lot to do with the political agenda against China. Obviously, we know about the security law, uh, which China have just um, imposed on Hong Kong, um, and that could seriously reduce um, American business interests in China, in Hong Kong especially. Um, but it's interesting that China's always been a real strong point for um, cheap imported goods to um, rich, rich economies in the West, like um, the USA. They're one of the major uh, importers of Chinese manufactured goods. So now by boycotting more tech firms and, and more sort of major Chinese businesses, uh, it's interesting that the um, the U.S. economy, is, which is mainly a service-based economy, might now be sort of boycotting many crucial tech goods, which could boost productivity, for example, in the U.S. So it seems like his political agenda might detract from um, key economic resources that might come into the country, which seems to be a bit of a dangerous move, especially um, nearing the election. Yeah, I was just going to say that... Um... Now you guys might have heard about, I completely agree with what Arish said, first of all. And um, you might have heard of the whole Microsoft buying TikTok thing. And I think that this is, this is going to be a difficult one for Trump to, um, how do you say this, manipulate. Because legally, if Microsoft buys TikTok or the US portion of it, it's, it's an American company. And there's no way that Trump could cite privacy or security concerns or use this act. So... I think that it would become um, irrelevant in this sense, but um, whether Microsoft's going to do that or not is is also a question. And yeah, according to a 2020 survey as well, 22% um, of Americans have a favorable view of China, with 73% expressing an un unfavorable view. So, in Trump's defense, he does have public support um, behind him that encourages him to. Um, boycott legal Chinese businesses in terms of national security. So is that support against China justified uh, with what he's doing? I mean, I think it's interesting that there's such a um, big support for, you know, anti-China moves, um, considering that, you know, a lot of 
for example, American students have started going to China recently. Um, obviously, we know that a lot of Chinese students come over to America to study, and there's a lot of um, sort of immigration between both nations. There's a lot of movement between both nations. So um, I think that it's interesting. It's interesting that that's that's the case, and I, I guess with yeah, as Rohit said, with a large support from the people for what he's doing, Trump can continue to do this. But also, TikTok's actually, I think, got an American CEO. So by kind of distancing himself from China, I think he's also kind of maybe sending a few mixed messages out as Trump. Yeah, um, he is trying to send a message, I think. To China and the fact that TikTok appointed an American CEO is kind of in a way a retaliation you could say against um, Trump's moves against the company which is um, which is all by all means legal and it is um, justifiable. So should we be careful uh, or more careful about Chinese technology because we've seen a recent ban on Huawei here in the UK, uh, uh, US ban Huawei quite a while ago, what feels like quite a while ago now. Um, should we be more careful with this te Chinese technology? Because there seems to be a, a, a common denominator here that it, it's got security concerns. Everything has security concerns. Now, is this almost like a technology cold war or is there genuinely actually security issues? What do we think? Yeah, I, I think there are definitely security kind of fears. I, I don't think we perhaps, you know, have too much um, proof, I guess. It, a lot of it is speculation and kind of going from a little bit of proof to, you know, perhaps that's what, um, in, that's what causes a fear of security. You know, Huawei's for a long time been, been feared over, you know, potential spying and everything. But I think we've got to, the, the US and, and, and even the UK as well, we've got to be careful that, speculation about potential security issues doesn't you know inhibit our embracing of Chinese technology and because because as I said before because of their manufacturing industry China's kind of impressive so it's and, and the US shouldn't shut themselves off from the possibilities which China um, has with it completely um, I think we should definitely keep a keep an eye on security but pr probably not take it too far, almost. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Because um, in um, a lot what Aris said, he was talking about Huawei and um, the whole Huawei issue with like US and the UK in general. Um, Huawei is multiple times it's said that it's not a security threat. But most, most importantly, the company's leaders have said that US has not produced any evidence that works inappropriately with the Chinese government or that would in the future. This is all based on speculation, as Aris just stated. Moreover, they say that um, there are different ways to like mitigate risk, right? Like ones that have worked successfully in other countries. Like it is US's responsibility to like, you know, um, make sure that there isn't a security threat. But at the same time, they can't make false accusations because first of all, that, that, is, um, that does affect the company, especially in regards to the stock price and valuation as well. And for example, um, um, yeah, so in, sorry, just cut that part out again. Um, yeah, I was going to say that um, it's, it would be a big issue if um, everyone starts boycotting Chinese technology because 
almost, I would say, around 90% of everything we own is in some way Chinese-made. Um, from this uh, smart, uh, from the chips in our laptops or, uh, or the SD cards or whatever, everything's made in China. So completely neglecting them would be the wrong decision because you don't, there's no other country that provides that much infrastructure, especially in the manufacturing sector, um, to produce this kind of um, technology. So yes, they have to be careful, the US and Western nations in, in, in general, but um, I don't think completely neglect, neglecting China would be a good, good way to um, proceed. So I know you want to move on, um, but I just want to say maybe something quickly. And I, I completely agree with Rohit. And also, if we do kind of boycott um, Chinese goods, that means we might have to increase our reliance on our own manufacturing industry. Yeah, I, I totally agree with your point, Rohit, in respect to that China is key to probably the West's entire supply chain and breaking off ties with uh, China is would be uh, quite detrimental to most Western economies. But moving on, uh, segueing to global inequality, are we finally seeing the clampdown on one of the macroeconomic objectives that has been forgotten in, well, for, forever? Are we finally seeing the clampdown on social divides that exist globally? Uh, I wouldn't say so. Um, you know, it is obvious that um, domestic inequalities do exist in, in several nations. Um, these are in nations um, particularly where there are extractive political institutions in place and extractive economic institutions where basically there's a lack of pluralism and heavy centralization, which means the leaders of these countries are extracting more. But also in countries like the USA, where there are inclusive institutions, um, which means that there is economic pluralism and therefore political pluralism. So this people have more power um, to sort of federal levels um, because of, as we've nature to the police system too, which means that um, black people are more likely to receive longer prison sentences uh, than white, their white people um, for the same crime. And that means that the black people who already have, um, for example, reduced incomes, reduced um, abilities to pass on money to their future, to, to their children, and that means they're unlikely to be able to come back quick to society and improve their lives. So inequalities will keep on widening. Um, and there's also cross-country inequality in the moment. And I think it's because of these kind of extractive institutions in place, if financial aid comes in to play the rich European countries to emerging countries with extractive institutions. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, I wouldn't say that there are clampdowns necessarily because we still see so many social and economic injustices, especially with the whole Black Lives Matter movement recently. But I would say that the fact that we live in an age of technology means there's so much more awareness, right? Especially through like social media and stuff so that people know what's going on. Like say this was 30 years ago, it would take us ages to actually realize something wrong was happening or something, uh, there was a big issue at hand here. But right now, since we know so much, we have like the world at our fingertips. Um, it, it, it makes us uh, prone to like, our surroundings right so we know what's going on so that results in more um i would say more effective measures taking place but even then i would still say that global inequality is is still a huge issue for example the richest one percent own like 44 percent of the world's wealth and um as mentioned before um 
uh, people uh, people of the African American descent, especially, um, are most subjected to higher um, sentences in jail and um, other stuff, or more likely to, um, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I yeah. agree with your point about um, technology uh, playing a role in increasing awareness. Um, I, I would argue, though, that a lot of the time it applies to kind of the leaders. So we can talk as much as we want, I guess, on you know, social media, but you know, Black Lives Matter movements have been massive. But I think ultimately if the leaders and if you know, the federal systems and if legal systems don't change, then and, and, and the police systems across the world, which kind of enforce inequality almost, if they don't yeah. change, and I, and I guess we're kind of limited in our power in that sense, um, you know, through protests, because, you know, the leader ultimately does need to make decisions, our governments need to make decisions, um, and especially in countries with less kind of enfranchisement and less voting rights, it seems likely that leaders will just keep on doing what suits them best i guess yeah yeah i completely agree i just want to add one last thing to that i think um as of the moment i wouldn't say there's a huge change particularly because the gen um the generation sorry the generational gap is different but i would say that since in the near future um people of our generation generation z and um previous generations um we're the ones who are going to be in power and since we have this awareness of sorts um maybe in the future it'll change but um that's just my cup of tea we don't know if that's going to happen because i'm pretty sure every generation before that thought the same thing um yeah yeah so moving to the next thing how do you think the uk government has done to combat the issue personally they've been they've, they've deflected the issue i think uh quite a bit and do you think uh, for an economy to, to be sustainable, inequality has to become the primary macroeconomic objective alongside growth and uh, unemployment, some of the bigger ones. Yeah, definitely. I think it sometimes gets a bit lost in the, you know, the whole economic growth and lowering inflation kind of objectives. And actually, um, interestingly, lowering inflation can kind of not help um, not help an economy in terms of um, for example more opportunities to people because it leads to uh, greater labor flexibility which is like a euphemism for inc uh, increased chance of unemployment um, it does mean that our main macroeconomic macroeconomic objectives can definitely uh, detract from um, reducing inequality so yeah definitely there's I think a divide and a, a policy conflict which needs to be addressed. Yeah, I completely agree with Arish there. Um, I'd say that yes, inequality has to be one of the uh, priorities of the government alongside with growth and some of the other more important or more important um, economic objectives because if, if it, as, as we know from now, that um, the wealth divide between global billionaires and the bottom half of humanity is growing. It is not decreasing. So we seem to, as, as a society, we seem to be going backward with our policies of eradicating inequality. So I think that there should be more um, importance given to it. But at the same time, I would say that there's not too much policymakers can do in, in a capitalistic society that all of us live in because 
when businesses effectively, in some cases, pull the strings in terms such as donations and um, other stuff, it's very difficult for inequality to decrease because these businesses are who fund the political parties and um, other stuff. But at the same time, I would say that um, there is there there should be more priorities given to inequality. Yeah, I, I I've got to agree with both of you there. Um, on in respect to the government, you guys, how do you think they've done? I mean, it's it's interesting this time because you know I think in contrast to the financial crisis um, twelve years ago, a lot of unemployment has occurred in kind of jobs away from um, financial services. So for people who actually aren't on higher income levels. So in that sense, um, inequalities could definitely grow um, in the long term post this situation. So I think we, the government's got a long sort of job ahead of it to reduce inequality in the future. Um, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, yeah, Arish, um, 12 years ago, financial crisis, the banks caused the problem which the uh, people in, uh, who are lower, um, who have lower incomes paid for. Uh, people lost their jobs in financial services, but the recession was so bad that people lost their, uh, um, lost their jobs in all sectors. Here we have a virus. This is probably the, the last time we saw this was the Spanish flu. We haven't seen this in our generation. So it's very different. It's affected stuff with close contact, whereas financial services and technology, as we've seen, have prospered completely from being at home. Yeah, exactly. I, I think this time, you know, as you said, whilst in 2008, kind of everyone was a loser. I think here, whilst there are so many people who are suffering, there have been, you know, some tech giants, Amazon's a massive example, who have really prospered. Um, and, you know, share prices have gone up. A lot of things have gone well for a lot of bigger companies. So I think there could definitely be a scope. I agree with what you said, definitely. Um, I think post any crisis, um, whether it's a health, like a virus, or something to do with what, what we saw in 2008, I think it's always going to be inequalities rising from it. Yeah, there's um there's going to be winners and losers in every situation. For example, companies like Zoom and Amazon may prosper during this time, but let's say on um, smaller scale restaurants or small businesses um such as shops um on the high street and stuff like that may suffer because um less people go to it especially during the pandemic time. Um so yeah, and if you look at it it's generally um, one or two people own these small businesses, whereas big corporations keep prospering. So inequality does keep rising. And that's not necessarily just the UK government. We see this um, all over the world. It's not just only here. But I would say that the UK is, is trying to make um, do better in terms of um, tackling inequality than some other nations, for example, the United States, where it's 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 obvious that there's a lot of inequality um yeah some good points we've explored there um moving on to our third and final um it's a bit different this week uh moving a bit off track from the econ economics but still very relevant 
um, mental well-being and the coronavirus. Has lockdown and people working from home caused a long-term damage to people's mental health or has it been a blessing in disguise in regards to the way we work now? Do we need office buildings, etc.? Um, I was I, I was thinking that I, I think it's, it kind of depends who you are. So, I, I've, you know, you hear a lot of adults at this time speaking and saying that they've actually had a nice, I think by saying adults, I mean probably from the age range of 30 to 50. A lot, a lot of people said they've had a really nice a break, a, a slow down from life. They enjoy working from home. But I think for a lot of people, even in that age category and then younger, that there is a lot of uncertainty about their future. For, for students, for example, for people who just finished university and are they going to be able to get jobs in the future? I think that's certainly going to be playing on people's minds. Um, but also older people, a, a lot of people who've retired obviously won't have to worry too much about unemployment in the future. But um, something I was looking at was dementia and dementia is obviously an awful um, disease which hits so many people um, past a certain age. But interestingly, what the virus has prevented them from doing is communicating with other people, which is supposed to actually, um, research has shown, improve uh, dementia and improve suffering and perhaps, um, you know, get, prevent it from becoming a worse situation. So in that sense, a lot of families will be concerned about their older relatives um, with dementia and other disease, diseases um, and whether they'll be able to receive long-term care or whether their illnesses will get worse. So I think there's definitely a lot of different issues which will arise for different people. Yeah, I agree. I think this is extremely subjective because it definitely def depends on the person. For example, um, like Arish mentioned, um, it, it might be difficult for students especially because they, they're graduating into a recession and a time of economic uncertainty. So they might have more cause to have... Um, mental health issues such as depression maybe I don't know but um it it really does depend because it also depends on the strength of the person themselves in a way you could say um if if they if they take it in a positive way saying oh my god I have this free time in my hands um then it it might be good for them for example they could learn new skills um spend time with their family and other stuff but if they take it in a way saying like oh um I'm not this 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 is bad like pandemics hit me hard I, I feel really like um you know like closed down I, I want to go see people but I can't and if you take it in that sort of way it might be more difficult for people to adapt but this question is um extremely subjective it, it really depends on opinion and it's open to interpretation so um referring to the working from home uh, that Forrest said a lot of people have enjoyed it what I've noticed with my parents is they're working a lot longer hours than they normally would be because they feel whilst people are working from home, they don't know when to shut off uh, the laptop. Is this a problem that we could see and affect mental health in the long run because people are now overworking? Because people are at home, they don't want to take days off. And there, there could be long-term repercussions of... Um, not having offices or working from home full time. Yeah, that's a good point. I think a lot of people, some people haven't been able to work enough or like you said, some people have perhaps found they've been working a bit too much. So in that sense, I think maybe in the future, you know, a, a sense of 
coherence and togetherness within firms might be lost, you know, in the sense that some people might be, might have really pushed on over this period. Some might not have pushed on. Um, and in that sense, maybe that kind of collective um, kind of ration, rationality or collective thinking within a firm might uh, disappear a little bit. Because I think, I guess that's what offices provide um, to a large extent. So maybe that might be a major repercussion. Yeah, I think the working from home stress is, 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 is in a way, like, it depends on the company themselves, right? Like, if they give a lot of freedom to their employees in the first place, then they might not uh, feel the need to be stressed or anything. But um, just uh, diverting a bit from this point, I'd just like to say that I think a new trend that might emerge um, uh, after this pandemic is... Is, is the need for not having office spaces because people work to work together effectively during like lockdown without like seeing other people um, which might resort to more people like working from home and no need for like centralized offices and all this stuff but yeah yeah what I what I'd say is the technology is there for us to work from home with the likes of teams zoom google meets etc it's whether it people are able to do it on an efficient basis so is that there needs to be an assessment done of work productivity over this period etc before companies can decide whether to do uh, work from home full time and in regards to schooling and uh, education people of the, the uh, people who aren't who aren't from wealthy backgrounds have probably suffered the most because they, they won't have this sort of technology that we're using now. And could the long-term impacts, and I'm moving back to equality again, inequality again, um, the, the long-term impacts of this virus could be felt for quite a while, and perhaps a few generations. I'd just like to end off on that point. Uh, but that's all we've got time for today. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, my co-hosts Arush and Rohit for coming on and if you do want to join us as a guest please um, fill out the form on the website. Thanks for listening, we'll be back next week, stay tuned.